Welcome to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. January felt like the longest month ever, so it feels good to be leaving it behind and entering into what is typically known as Heart Month, since it pertains to the health of our hearts physically, emotionally, and spiritually. So here's to a month with much more love in the air than we've seen recently, and definitely to more love in our hearts. Today's show kicks off with Allison Venditti from Moms at Work, who has just launched an innovative new job board with the aim of increasing and normalizing pay transparency. Allison joins me to share how the Moms at Work job board offers employers the opportunity to showcase their policies, benefits, and cultures, and how they support working families and advance women's careers. Shauna Thomas from Hockey Snacks is here with budget-friendly solutions for keeping the bottomless pits, aka your kids, well-fed with nutritious eats that won't break your bank account. And Brody joins me with two can't-miss documentaries for Black History Month, which includes 1,000 Years, the untold story on the Smithsonian Channel, and Who We Are, a Chronicle of Racism in America, available on Hot Docs. She also has a new series you'll need your brain for on Apple TV called Suspicion and one you can turn your brain off for on Netflix called Murderville. Finally, the best of the week goes to Tiffany Haddish on The After Party, available now on Apple Plus TV. Jennifer John from The Sacred Space is back with the second in our 12-part series to help women get unstuck so they can pursue the life they deserve. Today, we take a closer look at what it feels like being stuck, how to uncover the reasons behind it, and more importantly, how to begin changing things for the better. I had so much fun with Haley McGee, author of The Ex-Boyfriend's Yard Sale, available now online and in bookstores everywhere, that I asked her to come back closer to Valentine's Day with tips for not just surviving, but thriving as a single person through what many feel is the worst holiday ever. Finally, Tara McKenna, author of a new book called Don't Be Trashy, takes us through some of what you can expect when you pick it up, which includes reducing your waste month by month, including a no-buy month, an outfit repeater month devoted to developing a sustainable capsule wardrobe, and a whole month devoted to decluttering and minimalism at home. It's another full week at what she said with interviews that empower, educate, and entertain. So let's jump in right now on 105.9 The Region. Canada's largest and most trusted community of working moms, Moms at Work, started as a Facebook group in 2016 with the aim of supporting working mothers in the workforce. Today, Moms at Work has developed into a 10,000-plus member organization providing working mothers with training, advocacy, career opportunities, networking, and community. 
Moms at Work has just launched an innovative new job board with the aim of increasing and normalizing pay transparency. The board will require all job postings to include salary range details to help combat the gender wage gap and support equitable employment opportunities. Joining me now to discuss is founder of Moms at Work and frequent guest on What She Said, Alison Venditti. Welcome back to the show, Alison. Hey, how are you? Good. So, all right, let's start at the beginning because I know we've talked about this before, but let's just recap the importance of pay transparency. So for those who don't know, pay transparency is really simple. It just requires people to share what they plan to pay you when you're applying for a job. The notion is a bit silly because it's uh, why haven't we always done that? And I'm asked that all the time. Why don't people share this? And the question is, at this point, we just don't know. Um the importance for us, though, uh, at Moms at Work is that uh, for me as an HR person and recruiter, it's a complete waste of time. If you're totally out of sync with what someone's going to pay you, um, like if someone wanted to pay me $20,000 when I'm making now, I wouldn't apply for the job. So our goal is to try and save, you know, save some effort on both sides so that we don't have to keep having this conversation. Okay. And so I've heard, I mean, I don't know if this is true or not, but I've heard that sometimes they don't post pay because it it's an effort to allow them to underpay somebody, right? Is that sort of a common tactic for not disclosing pay? You know, no one comes to me as an HR person is like, I want you to try and underpay people. But what has happened over time because of the systemic issues that are at play is that women are already underpaid. So when we look at the numbers with our current employees, um, they're all over the map for people who haven't done proper pay equity. And what happens then is that, you know, we have groups of people, predominantly people of color and women who are significantly underpaid. So the idea of then having to post a salary range that may be higher than someone who's worked at your company for five years is a bit troubling. And they say, well, we can't do that because of all these things. I'm like, then you have to fix the other side too. So it's sort of a pressure move to get to get people to sort of review how they're how they're paying people. So we know that moms in particular have been really impacted with this pandemic, um, you know, and there's so, some some saying we've lost 30 years of progress. Are you, what are you seeing in the group you have? What are sort of sort of the frustrations that, that your members are sharing right now um, as we return to somewhat normal? So I think the pandemic has sort of laid bare all the things that we already knew. And I think that people who had been sheltered from a lot of the discrimination, it came full force. So people who did have access to good quality childcare, people who did have, you know, other sorts of supports, you know, never really understood those types of pressures. And because of the pandemic, women, mostly all women, were thrown into this, hey, you're the default caregiver, no discussion. Um, and a lot of that stemmed from the fact that women are significantly underpaid. So if, you know, your husband, my husband makes twice as much money as I do, Whose job are you going to give up when you're forced to do this? I'm like under, you know, I'm a smart person. Under no circumstances would I say, hey, you know what? Let me make half as much money as you and let's just keep on trucking along. So we were set up to fail. And I think that's what women are struggling with is that it's hard to look away from that. It's hard to look away from the fact all the ways in which society devalues almost everything that we do um, and holds expectations for us over here. So it's not enough for people to just do it on their own. That's why Moms at Work exists. We can help you fight that fight. We can do it for you. Now, the job postings that you're going to be including on this new job board, um, how are they coming to you? Are you reaching out to organizations or are they now coming to you to post their jobs there? Both. And for a lot, 
So we, for a long time, have been working with FoodShareTO and other organizations to really promote pay transparency. And, you know, FoodShareTO did their own analysis and, and became a pay transparent company with work on internal extra. But for a lot of companies, they're now in a crunch. So they need employees. And we know that women, particularly mothers, are the ones who have exited the workforce and are starting to come back. So we currently hold the keys to the next sort of big labor movement, which will be women returning to the workforce. And so a lot of employers, very interestingly enough, are only posting their pay ranges on our job board, <laughs> not, on, not on their website or whatever, but they'll post them for us because they're really starting to see if they can tap into that talent network. Um, and we've been asked six ways from Sunday how they cannot post it. And I said, well, you can't post it somewhere else then, uh, which is the power of having you know, that many women behind you. So it'll be an interesting, but we're getting them both sides. They come to us, we go to them. We've worked with lots of employers before, so many have been, have jumped on very eagerly. So I just had Katie Ward on, Commissioner Katie Ward on from Pay Equity Ontario, and we were talking about career clustering and sort of the shift for women into non-traditional roles. So are you seeing these opportunities arise on your job board or the opportunities for retraining or education? So we work with a number of organizations who do specifically that, who do retraining. There is, you know, the entire theater district, theater industry was decimated. Um, servers were unemployed for so long. So people have been retraining. They have been doing those things. And I think what we're going to see from the pandemic is we've always talked about gaps in employment. This is a, going to be a significant gap for people. And, you know, if anybody, anybody on the HR side asked what the heck you were doing for the last two years during a pandemic, like I, I want to hurt them. It's a ridiculous question, but lots of women are, are concerned about this conversation. So we're trying to partner with some retraining. We're trying to partner with things, but I think it's a great opportunity um, for women to sort of branch out because of the employment crunch. Like there's lots of opportunities where we're hiring people with little to no experience and training them internally. I want to talk about something um, that you that I see in your group a lot, and it's about salary negotiation. And I always, you know, I'm silently applauding whenever I see somebody post, hey, I, I got that raise or I, you know, was able to negotiate a higher offer uh, from the company. So I wanted to talk a little bit about sort of that salary negotiation. Is this a course you offer? Is this something you just share in the group, how to do it? Um, how are you helping people sort of break out of their discomfort in asking for basically what they deserve? So, uh, so I do what I call um, like a feminist salary negotiation course because salary negotiation looks different for women than it does for men. So I've seen a hundred different men try and teach women how to negotiate. I'm like, dude, that's not how this is going to work because women are viewed differently. So Women, when I work with them, I arm them with the information and the data and the statistics and also really the, the methodology and how it works on the other side. I've been in HR for 20 years. I know what the other side is thinking. So Moms at Work does have a salary negotiation course. We have um, blog posts in that that talk about sort of like the highlighted things. So I do a lot of writing, which is free. Um, but our course is $49. It's, it's uh, pretty accessible. Uh, our goal is in any negotiation, I, I can tell your listeners this is to get the number from them as soon as possible. So if it's not listed, you can send an email even before you're applying and ask them for the range. You can always try and get that number. So in negotiation, the, the term is that like whoever, whoever gives first loses. And in salary negotiation, that's sort of really true is if you have a number 
And many of the women I work with are like, oh my gosh, I got the number. It was 30% higher than what I was going for. I was like, yes, I know. <laughs> yes. And, I know. and so it, and it's working through those sort of mental roadblocks um, that women and pretty much everybody has about talking about money because it's still seen as rude, right? Rude to talk about salary, rude to talk about whatever. And I always say, you know this, why is it rude? Tell me why. Tell me who says, who says it's rude because I couldn't name them. Yeah. And when when women do better in the workforce, we all do better as a society. Um, as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me. I I always love seeing what you're up to. So if people want to connect with you, find out more, join your group, uh, sign up for courses, where can they go? Uh, our website is thisismomsatwork.com. And that will link you to everywhere we have. But that's our handle on just about everything. So Moms at Work group and This is Moms at Work uh, on Instagram. Wonderful. Allison, thanks so much for joining me today. We'll have you back again soon. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. If you're already thinking about what's for dinner as soon as your feet hit the ground in the morning, you're probably a mom. Keeping hungry kids fed is a full-time job, and with prices rising at the grocery store, it's also becoming very expensive. Shauna Thomas is a certified holistic nutritional consultant, mom of three young athletes, and founder of Hockey Snacks, Inc. Shauna believes that nutrition and health can be convenient, mealtimes don't have to be stressful, and with a little guidance, support, and accountability, feeding your family and being healthy can be easy. Welcome to the show, Shauna. Thank you so much for having me. I, you know, I feel for all parents out there right now because having kids is like having little bottomless pits in your house and keeping them fed with the price of groceries right now is becoming very stressful. So let's talk about some ways to help. Absolutely. And I mean, so my three kids are still, they're easing into that bottomless pit phase. So I have nine-year-old, 11 and 12. So they're slowly getting into those teenage years where I think uh, it's going to be increasingly more challenging. But there are some things you can keep on hand um, and some tips and tricks just so that your kids are constantly nourished getting the food that they need, but also filling them up. Because also, I think we've all realized with working from home and having virtual learning that kids have two stomachs. They have their school stomachs and then they have their home stomachs. And for some reason, when they're at home, that stomach is so much bigger. Absolutely. Yeah. And so let's, I, I really want to focus on some real practical tips for parents right now, because, you know, it's not enough to say, you know, just go look for sale items. We really need something concrete we can do. So what do you suggest? Absolutely. So what I like to tell parents to do is to focus on foods that fill. So when we're talking about foods that fill, they don't have to be expensive options. We're looking at things that have protein, things that have 
fiber, especially. So things that have fiber, whole grain items, um, beans. Beans are a really big one that I think a lot of people overlook these days. You can get a can of beans for a dollar and use them in so many different ways. I add them to soups, sauces. I make um, a dip out of them. So you can make a vegetable dip, but I also make like a cookie dough dip that you can have with fruit. So my kids are exposed to these high fiber items all day long and it helps fill them up in an economical way. And I'm curious, what do you think of, you know, sort of going back to making, instead of buying prepackaged goods, is like embracing that, making it at home I, idea? I think that's a fabulous idea. So, you know, I... I'm, I love to bake. I love to cook. I love to be in my kitchen. And I realize that not every parent is like me. But if you can take some time or, you know, encourage your kids to help you out, I batch cook muffins on the weekend or I'll make, you know, even doesn't even have to be cooked. You can make a big jar full of trail mix, something that your kids can grab and go. And it makes their life and your life that much easier. Even energy bites, you know, we'll, we'll make four ingredient energy bites. It's just oats, hemp heart, maple syrup and nut butter. Smack them together, throw them in the freezer, and they're always ready for your kids to nibble on. And I and I think too, you know, we were talking about this prior to the interview, but I really like the idea of, you know, doing some swapping, like you would do a traditional cookie swap at Christmas, but maybe keep that going all year with some groups in your community where somebody is making a healthy granola, maybe somebody's making a healthy muffin, and you're sort of sharing these things so that your kids are not getting sick of the same thing over and over again, and neither are you from making it. Absolutely. And I mean, isn't it true that your kids always like something that someone else's mom makes more? So I think it such a good idea to do that swap. What a fabulous idea. You know, if I can make 24 muffins at a time and give a dozen to a friend, you know, it's no skin off my nose if I'm making them anyway. So I think it's a fabulous idea to really encourage community, encourage, you know, your friends to bake a little bit more, work together and, uh, and really come up with some nice, healthy options um, that all the kids could enjoy. And are you using frozen fruits and vegetables a lot now, uh, considering the prices of fresh? Oh, absolutely. So that's such a good point. So frozen fruits and vegetables, a lot of people, for some reason, think that they're not as healthy as fresh, but actually they're flash frozen on site. So right at the farm, you know, they're washed, cleaned, cut and frozen. So they actually contain all the nutrients right from the vine. So they're an excellent option, not only now in the winter, but really year round. Um, and we have them, you know, the fruit is great for smoothies or you can let it thaw and put it on ice cream or even just have it with some yogurt or, you know, whatever. But the vegetables, I mean, oh, my God, to have a bag of frozen vegetables in there, it's just the most handy and healthy option available. All right. Shauna, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I hope this is helping some people who are listening. We're all feeling the stress of that grocery store checkout right now. Uh, where can people find you and find Hockey Snacks? Well, you can find Hockey Snacks at the website, hockeysnacks.com. I'm also on Instagram, hockey underscore snacks. You can also find me on Facebook, and I have a group called Fuel More Wins, which has great tips, tricks, and recipes for parents. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining me again today, Shauna. Thank you, Candice. Have a great day.
We are all looking for a little escapism after current events in Canada. So thankfully, Anne Brody is here with new entertainment this week. But we're going to start off with Black History Month, which is obviously in February. And there's a couple of uh, documentaries out there, Anne, that should probably be required viewing. Yeah, they're extremely good. One is um, 1,000 Years of Slavery, which is on the Smithsonian Channel in Canada. And it is a brilliant, thoroughly researched piece going back four or 500 years. I did not know that there were Black slaves here in the, in the 1300s. Uh, we just learned so much about the roots of what is happening today and the strides that have been made and, and the steps back that we've had. The other one is called, uh, and it's available at Hot Docs Theatre and Theatres in Vancouver, Montreal, Who We Are. A Chronicle of Racism in America from an ACLU uh, official, Jeffrey Robinson. It's very personal for him. He grew up in a white neighborhood back when it wasn't cool. Uh, so he takes us across the country to various American uh, monuments to, you know, the founder of the KKK. And, but he looks for the, for, the, uh, for the movement forward as well. And it's really personal, really, really personal, quite emotional both important. Okay. I agree. Absolutely. Definitely on my to watch list uh, this month. I want to talk about Uma Thurman in Suspicion because uh, first off, I haven't seen Uma Thurman in anything and for a long time. And and so to see her was was wonderful. Uh, but also her performance is, is chilling. Like just the brief trailer I saw, she seems intense she in this. She is. And she doesn't let go. She plays a businesswoman, uh, really smart. I, I've never seen a businesswoman quite this genius in a show or a film before. Um, and very rigid because she's trying to protect her company. Uh, so the thing is, her nephew is kidnapped. She's extremely wealthy, obviously. Um, and so suspicion falls on four people living in the UK who happened to be in the same hotel as her son the night he was taken. So this becomes an international whodunit. They, they find the people, they, they, they grab them. It's like kidnapping them. And, uh, but they escape thanks to this fellow who shows up, this mystery man uh, who's apparently been paid to, to protect them. Um, it's a very complicated, wonderfully engaging uh, miniseries. And funny thing is it opens with the kidnapping and all the, uh, the um, perpetrators are wearing masks of the royal family. <laughs> it's kind of funny. <laughs> but it's not a funny series and it's really twisty. So there's lots to, lots to think about. Very cool. So we have, to, we, have to, we have to use a little brain power for this one. Unlike Murderville, which seems uh, actually very funny. I, 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 I did laugh out loud watching what you sent me. Oh, and you know, it's, it's one of the funniest things to come along in a while. And it's Will Arnett. He's the founder. And um, he plays uh, Detective uh, Seattle in a small town. Well, we don't even know where it is, but he gets a mystery every day. And each mystery... That is, each episode, he calls in a new movie star. They go by their name, but they're detective interns. So you get Sharon Stone and, uh, oh, tons and more. And so each of them has to figure it out. The stars are not given the scripts or any idea 
of what's about to happen. So they have to improvise for a half hour against Will Arnett. That's a big job. And then they have to go through all the clues and name the killer. It is absolutely hysterical. I, I laughed out loud at the part with Sharon, with Sharon Stone when he says, you know, you can see where he, he, he springs it on her that she has a heavy German accent. And it just, the whole thing just made me laugh. So, uh, but, but speaking of laughter, I, I want to quickly just move on to the after party because Tiffany Haddish is just the best. She is hilarious. Yeah. She plays a detective who comes to this um, Malibu cliffside home for, to an after party because the host, Rockstar Xavier, played by Dave Franco, who actually recorded some music that his character sings, is hurled off a cliff. So she has to solve the mystery of who did it. And again, each episode focuses on a different person, a different suspect in this case. It's absolutely hysterical. She, she makes even something serious, a serious question. It's so engaging. I don't know what it is about. It's her personality that seems to shine through. Um, it's not uh, improvised. But it is really funny. Don't pay any attention to the six zero it got on IMDb. Just go ahead and watch it. It's so funny. Yeah, and we we need the funny. We do. Uh, quickly, I just want to talk about Sam Claflin in um, in Book of Love because I thought that looked really entertaining. Yeah, I lasted fifteen minutes. Oh no. So this is a perfect example of you can't go by the trailer. You can't. No, you really can't. Tra trailers are meant to do one thing, grab eyes in the most positive possible light. But the reality might be totally different. And in this case, it is. He's a bumbling, dopey guy who, who's, you know, poorly selling book on love, really uh, simplified, uh, non-passionate book, is somehow becomes a hit in Mexico number one bestseller. So he's sent over there to uh, promote it. Turns out some girl, the translator, turned it into an erotic pot boiler. I mean, okay, but it's just so lackluster. I shouldn't say this. And I apologize to the studio to put it out. <laughs> well, I know the listeners are grateful that you've saved them a couple of hours. So, and thank you so much for everything this week. Oh, so and well. we'll see you next week. All right, Candace. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. I am so happy to have this sacred space back today for part two in our series aimed to help get us unstuck from whatever rut we may find ourselves in. Jennifer John is passionate about helping us make empowering shifts to get unstuck and shift our focus internally so we can heal, experience more of our true self, become unstoppable, and show up abundantly from a more powerful place. 
In today's episode, we're taking a closer look at the why behind what is keeping us stuck. Welcome back to the show, Jennifer. Hi, Candice. Thank you so much. I'm so excited. Thank you for having me today. I Honestly, I'm so, so thrilled to have you here. I feel like we just need more of this in our lives. So let's jump in. So what does it mean to feel stuck? What does that feel like for people? You know what? It it It's something that in the last past two years, a lot of us have been feeling much more than any other time because of the pandemic. And so we all have this collective feeling of, you know, feeling where you, you're, you're, you're trapped between where you are right now and where you want to be. And so that feeling of, I can't move forward, that feeling of, or constantly doing the same thing over and over and over and not feeling as if you were moving any much further ahead than you want to feel. And so that, that state of being is being stuck. And so a lot of people, and I'm hearing it constantly, you know, I'm not achieving the things I want to achieve. I'm not getting, I feel like I'm doing all of this stuff, all of these things, but I'm not getting further ahead. Or I just feel like, you know, I don't have the energy. I don't have the motivation. I can't get to where I really want to be. And I don't want to be where I am right now. And so that's the feeling of being stuck. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny, like, I feel like there comes a sense when you said, you know, no energy. I really feel that. I really feel that lack of energy. And and I feel like I hit walls easier now where I go, oh, like, I'm so tired. I'm so fatigued. And what's interesting to me is that I've started to really honor that. Like, when I feel tired, I stop and I rest. Whereas before I would have tried to push through and not give in something my best now I'm learning to stop and rest. And then when I'm able to give something my best or my attention, then I will move forward. That's excellent. You know what? Um, and you're absolutely right, because a lot of the time we tend to not listen to the cues that our life or our bodies or systems are telling us. And so it's calling for that rest. It's calling for us to slow down. It's calling for us to, you know, what, take a moment, breathe you know, um, take a pause and really pay attention and pay attention to you because we're going, 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 going. And we tend to push past those feelings, past those, those cues, those, those alarms that are going off in ourselves saying, Hey, pay attention to me. Hey, something is not no longer working or something needs to be addressed. And we're not taking the time and energy to do that. And so we keep going and what happens is it's draining our energy and our motivation starts to diminish. And so we're not being in the place or being our optimal best that we want to be because we haven't paid attention. We haven't, you know, taken that time to slow down, slow down a little bit. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it might sound trite, but there is something to the expression that everything looks better in the morning. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you know, because we, we tend to get trapped in routines and things that are not Actually, you know, it feeds more of our frustration than it does our fulfillment. And when that happens, um, you get into that place of being stuck. And so, you know, that reset, you know, things, you know, looking better in the morning is actually what it, what happens after reset. Because once we reset our system, once we reset our ourselves in the sense of our lives, then everything starts to flow a little bit easier, starts to feel a little bit better. Look, you know, computers, we we're working away, something happens. Right. And it, it, we feel like it's stuck. Oh, my God, it's stuck. It's for what, what do we do? Automatically, we start to shut it down. It hopes that when we reboot back up, 
things will start to flow a little bit easier or flow the way that it should. And so we ourselves, we need to know when to pause and to shut our, let our, let ourselves shut down someone so that we can reboot, re-energize and get back to that level of, of functioning at optimum that we need to. Okay. Well, a lot of what we've talked about up to this point has been about you know, honoring ourselves and so on and, you know, really getting in touch with our, with our, with what's inside of us. And part of that means that we have to uncover what is keeping us stuck, but there's steps involved in that. So maybe you could talk about that a little bit for me. Being stuck, the feeling of being stuck has a lot to do with our state of mind. And so what's going on in our mental space. And so we're constantly thinking. And because we're constantly thinking, we're filling up that mental space with a lot of stuff. And so to unpack what's causing us to feel stuck, we have to start paying attention to our thoughts, our emotions, our feelings, you know, some of our behavioral patterns. What have, you know, have we been contributing to these feelings of being stuck, right? What are the, what are the things that we're doing? Because sometimes we're doing things that um, we're sabotaging our own selves, and so I know when we started off the year, we talked a lot, a little bit about self-sabotage and throughout, you know, our, our time together, we're going to speak some more, more on that. But we tend to do things unbeknownst to ourselves that we're sabotaging ourselves, getting in our own way, preventing us from moving forward in the way that we need to so that we can actually have and, and experience the things that we want to experience. Yeah. You know, I don't know if, you know, sometimes I get a little frustrated because I, I, I notice I'm now noticing my own self-sabotage things that I do to prevent myself from moving forward. And sometimes it's as simple as, you know, losing myself in TikTok or, you know, not recognizing that, you know, um, having to have the, my house look just perfect is really holding me back from advancing my career or, you know, um, any learning that I want to do. So there's a lot of things that I'm starting to really notice now that we've started to have these discussions. So, so let's talk about changing things for the better then. Some of the things we can do. Some of the things that we can do the number one is shifting your mindset. And so I go back to, you know, paying attention, cleaning up your mental space. What are those thoughts, those, you know, negative thoughts that we, we tend to entertain that keep us from moving forward? What are those things we're saying to ourselves, our own narrative, you know, the things that, the story that we tell ourselves that keep us from moving forward? I can't, that can't possibly happen. Um, you know, I've reached a certain age. There's no way, you know, I'm, I'm in my 50s, you know, I'm, I'm almost 60. There's no way that I can start this now. There's no way that this is ever going to change for me. You know, my, you know, what I've experienced will be all that I'll experience. These are the negative thoughts and self-talk that we tend to entertain, narrative that we need to shift out of and change so that we can experience something better. Absolutely. All right. Um, so let's talk about goals then, aligning our goals with our core values, because that feels, it's easy to say, but it feels like it might be a little bit of a harder thing to actually put into motion. And one of the first things we need to do is actually know ourselves a little bit better. And one of the, I've been practicing since we started um, this year is self-reflection. And so taking time to reflect on what truly is important. What are those things that are important to you, to us as an individual? What are our core values? What's, what is it that we hold utmost that we need to honor for ourselves? 
And so paying attention to these things and what brings us that ultimate sense of fulfillment, what makes you happy? And once we start to focus on those things and just jot them down, just start, you know, prompting, jotting them down and, and spending time reflecting on these things and then look at what is it now that I want to experience? Ultimately, what is the type of life I want to have? And so once you identify these things, then you can start setting goals to align more with who you are and what you truly want for your life. Yeah. And when you do that, you show up better for the people in your life as well, right? A happier you. Listen, when we're happiest with ourselves, when we're happiest with the life that we're living, is the more powerful we show up in the relationships that we do have. Because now we're bringing our whole selves to those relationships. And so we can show up more powerfully in our friendships, our, our relationships at work, our romantic, intimate relationships. We can show because now it's our best selves that we are putting forth. Okay. Well, we're out of time for today. And so I want people to go back and listen to the first episode, which is on what she said, talk.com. They'll be able to catch this right. one. Uh, but you also are running the 21 day challenge. People can jump in anytime, yeah. right? Anytime. Yeah. This was not a and January 1st thing. It's today. <laughs> jump in. Today, anytime. Go to the Facebook um, or Facebook group page, you know, the Sacred Space 21 day challenge. Join. Go right down to the, to the day one and start the challenge because you can start this up at any time. We've created a sacred space for discussions, for interactions, just for you to help reset, as you know, we were talking earlier, help you reset so you can prepare yourself for the life you really wanna live for this 2022. Because one, it is within our control to make a change. And once we start doing that, we can start experiencing, we have to challenge ourselves. And so this challenge helps to challenge some of that routine, some of that, the comfort zones that we've created for ourselves and step out of it so that we can actually experience the type of fulfillment we want to have in this 2022. I'm so excited. All right. Thank you, you so much. It's always, you just always make me feel so much better about everything. <laughs> uh, I can't wait to have Denise here next month and then you will be yes. back the month after. Uh, thank you, Jennifer, Great. for joining me today. As always a delight. Thank you, Candice. It was wonderful. And I know it could not happen I had so much fun with Haley McGee, author of The Ex-Boyfriend's Yard Sale, available now, by the way, online and in bookstores everywhere. I asked her to come back. So she is here today with tips for not just surviving Valentine's Day solo, but thriving. Welcome back <laughs> to the show, Haley. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me back, Candace. We were discussing just before we started this interview, um, our, our feelings on Valentine's Day, and neither of us really think much of it. But tell me why you uh, are not a fan. Oh, I'm not a fan of anything that has been invented essentially by a marketing <laughs> or as a marketing ploy uh, to get me to spend money and ultimately to create a problem for me that I then need to solve. And I think Valentine's Day has absolutely fallen into this trap. Valentine's Day, um, St. Valentine's is the patron saint of beekeepers and epilepsy, among many other things, according to history, 
history.com. And it's been turned to this kind of hallmark holiday where we have to shell out money and where we can feel like a bit of a loser if we don't have a sweetheart. Yeah, you know, and I think about this, like I, I really was into my 40s before I really crystallized my feelings on Valentine's Day because it started at such a young age. It starts in the classroom when you're handing out Valentine's and you don't get one or, you know, the pressure. And then, you know, you're single and you're disappointed. You're together with somebody and you're disappointed because it wasn't romantic enough or you're getting fleeced at the register. It's just a terrible holiday. It really is. It, it, it only makes people feel bad. I think very few people or you try to plan something with your partner or the person that you're dating and there's so much pressure on it to be romantic. It can just never live up to the expectations that you have for it and is kind of underwhelming. I've had that experience, too. All right. Well, let's let's you know, now that we're on side with how we feel about it, <laughs> let's talk. Let's let's talk about, you know, being single and getting through Valentine's Day because it's it is a hard holiday if you're single. It is a really hard holiday if you're single. There's a ton of people posting on social media about their partner or their sweetie on Valentine's Day. And so it's kind of in your face. So I think if you're spending Valentine's Day solo, there are a few things you can do to make sure that you have an enjoyable day and don't have a crummy day. I think the big things to avoid are avoid social media that day. And if you do find yourself on social media, it's really important to keep in mind that social media is a performance. And actually, I read in the Personality and Social Psychology Bulletin that having very high relationship visibility and overposting about a partner on social media may be a mask for relationship insecurity. So that is really something to keep in mind. What we see on social media is not necessarily true. So stay away from that. Stay away from online stalking of exes and stay away from restaurants, cinemas. Try to plan in advance to have your Valentine's Day at home. So you stay away from triggers that might make you feel bad about yourself and being single. And and remember that there's no reason to feel bad about yourself. That's really important, right? I like what you say yes. about treating yourself. What are some ways you can actually treat yourself kindly and lovingly as, instead of putting those expectations on somebody else magically showing up at your door with flowers? I think yeah, that is absolutely right. I love the phrase, treat yourself exquisitely. So make a plan for yourself. Now, you could say, I want to spend Valentine's Day alone uh, or with friends, whatever feels right to you. And I would really strongly suggest pre-ordering a meal kit or going out the day before and getting groceries so you don't have to go out on Valentine's Day. Make a beautiful meal, uh, make some beautiful cocktails, and then do something that's really fun on your own or with your friends. Maybe you want to do some tarot readings with your friends. Maybe you want to play an old board game like Dream Phone or watch cheesy rom-coms. And, you know, I also think if you're this kind of person, it can be really nice to do something kind of ceremonial, like make a little list of all the things you haven't enjoyed about your exes and very safely burn it somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And I like your suggestion as well about, you know, getting your friends involved as well, because, you know, you know, there's if you're feeling this way, odds are your girlfriends are as well. Yeah. And thinking about it, if it is a day where we want to uh, have a little nod to the love in our lives, our friends 
provide so much love and companionship. And so focusing on that in the absence of like a partner can be such a healing thing. All right. So uh, the other thing people can do as we close out this segment is grab your book, The Ex-Boyfriend's Yachtail, available now. Uh, It's a great book. And of course, follow you. So where can they connect with you online, Haley, and find the book? I am at Yes, Haley McGee on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And the book is available anywhere that you get books. Okay. It was an absolute delight having you back again. You're welcome anytime. Thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you for having me. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. Don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone. It paradise, put up a parking lot. We're all trapped in a wasteful convenience-based cycle, but my next guest offers an alternative, an approach to reducing waste that emphasizes progress over perfection. Tara McKenna is passionate about sustainability and created the Zero Waste Collective Lifestyle blog and community to inspire people from all walks of life to live with less waste and more joy. In her new book, Don't Be Trashy, Tara Tara walks you through a year of reducing your waste month by month, including a no-buy month, an outfit repeater month devoted to developing a sustainable capsule wardrobe, and a month devoted to decluttering and minimalism at home. She joins me now to discuss. Welcome to What She Said, Tara. Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. I, I read your book. Thank you so much for sending me an advanced copy. And I was delighted to read how non-judgmental you are. You don't wag your finger at anybody in this book. It's strictly informational. Uh, absolutely loved it. So thank you so much. Um, tell me what prompted you, though, to get into this lifestyle. Was there a trigger moment where you said, oh, I got to stop? Yes, yes, there definitely was a trigger moment. But I'll tell you, I didn't automatically go into a zero waste you know, lifestyle from that trigger moment. But you know, a number of years ago, I was snorkeling in Bali, which is a beautiful island in Indonesia, in Southeast Asia. I was there for a family holiday. And as soon as I, you know, went under the water while I was snorkeling, I saw a lot of trash intermingling with the fish. And it was just a really devastating moment to think about how impactful that was, right? We, you know, as humans are impacting the planet and you don't have to go to Bali to see this. You can see this right in our own backyard. You can go hike in our neighborhoods, you know, just outside of the cities and and trash is a problem here too. It's it's worldwide, right? So it just gave me this moment of reflection of like, okay, I want, you know, a planet where we aren't having such a negative impact on the natural world. And in your book, you talk about the three R's, but you also bring in five others. So there's sort of eight R's that you would like us to focus on. Um, and uh, But they make sense. So can you just run through them for me? Like, let's start. We all know reduce, reuse, recycle. But let's focus on the additional. Yes, and I, I grew up with those. Um, yeah. So I like the one that's called rot because composting is such an important way to reduce the amount of, you know, 
food waste we're sending to landfill. So if we can get it out of the landfill completely, composting is really, really important, but also to refuse. So what it means to refuse is to kind of say no to the incoming stuff. And I feel like this one's really connected to minimalism. But for example, I have a a no junk mail sign above my mailbox. So that way, because really, I would literally take my junk mail and put it right into my recycling bin. So I'm kind of skipping that altogether. So refusing stuff that you don't need. And that might also include freebies as well, but also to repair. And repairing is really important because a lot of the times these days, things break and we're just throwing them away. So if we can find opportunities to repair the things that we already have, then that's great. And similarly, repurpose gives a new life to something that maybe no longer is useful. And, you know, I think about my mother-in-law because she is, you know, really great at sewing really great things. And she took down some old curtains that she no longer wants to use. And she's repurposing those into other items um, and sewing them into like, you know, a quilt, for example. It's a great way to repurpose and keep, you know, upcycle essentially. And then rethink. And rethinking is really about kind of looking at the bigger picture of all of these R's and being like, okay, well, how can we do this in a way that will build new, less trashy habits? Yeah. And and I love that you you make it so relatable and that you're not saying, listen, you can't have a aesthetically pleasing Instagram life uh, because you're, you know, using conscious consumption. You can still have all that. You just have to think a little bit more about those things, right? Exactly. Yeah. I certainly don't want to, you know, tell people how to live their lives. Like, you know, choose what works for you in your life. And and with my book, it, you know, it's meant to be a practical guide take what works for you and leave the rest. And there's one example that I really, really love is that I I don't know about you, but a lot of people always forget their reusable bags, right? And so if, if you're that person who no matter what you do, you never remember your reusable bag, well, maybe that change or that, you know, lifestyle choice is not for you. But could you do something else that would work for you? For example, you know, we've got fast fashion these days. Could you, instead of, you know, being on that consumption treadmill of like clothing, 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 you know, buying a new piece every, you know, other day or every week, maybe the reusable bag is not a big issue for you, but you could definitely reduce your clothing consumption. So it's a balance of what works for you and no pressure with the rest, right? Exactly. And, and, and it's just, I, I, what I loved about the book was that there's so much in it that it's, it's easy to walk away with small, actionable steps that that we can all take. Um, so I want people to be able to find the book, but I want them to also connect with you on all of your social channels and your website, because obviously you're always sharing great information. So if you could tell people where to do that. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. So my blog is called The Zero Waste Collective, and the website is simply thezerowastecollective.com. Um, I'm typically active on Instagram, so you can find me at zero.waste.collective, and my more personal account is mindfully.tara. Um, and my book is available wherever books are sold, and you can also check it out at the library, too. Okay. You've been listening to Tara McKenna, uh, author of Don't Be Trashy, and we have recorded a longer 30-minute podcast that takes a deeper dive into ways you can uh, be less trashy. Uh, So be sure to check that out on What She Said with Candace Sampson. Tara, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. That's it for What She Said for this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com. 
And be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify to re-listen to this episode and find full details for all of today's guests. I'll be back next week with more What She Said on 105.9 The Region. Previous episodes of What She Said on 1059theregion.com.